You heard our first reading from John chapter 20. Our text for the lesson today is from the Gospel of Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterward, Jesus traveled through the cities and villages, preaching and proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. The twelve were with him, along with some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been thrown out. Joanna, the wife of Herod's servant, Chusa, Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I've had my first churches on my mind a lot this week, and particularly this morning, as I had a crazy morning, arriving intending to get some things done before the chapel service this morning, and realizing there were some other things that needed some attention this morning. It was quite a exciting morning if you saw the police visiting with us as you rolled up for Sunday school this morning. But I was remembering how that ministry started and what it meant to me. I served a two-point charge. One was Hebron, a little rock church um, in the middle of a cemetery, surrounded on three sides by cemetery and a parking lot on the other. They did not have a bathroom. That's a problem. Particularly since I lived in Glencoe and I drove 42 miles to get to that church. I got to know the Sunday morning gas attendants at the BP station and center really well. And then you went on to church there and then you drove on over to Ebenezer where you did it again. So you learned to finish on time and get there. One of the very first weeks, I left my sermon and Bible on the pulpit at Hebron. Something I didn't realize until I arrived at Ebenezer and went to get out of my car and hurry to the bathroom there. So here I am standing in the bathroom looking at myself in the mirror and I thought, girl, you got two hands and an offertory to get it together because everybody's going to be looking at you. For the rest of my ministry there for two and a half years, I printed two copies of the sermon and left one in the car. I never needed it again. My husband was also working hurricane relief in Mississippi at the time, so it was me and the two small boys who would get up and head off that way every Sunday morning to get there by 9.45 at Hebron. But Hebron was a precious group of people, and I loved being with them. Our chapel service reminds me of it very much. But what we discovered was the community didn't know that it was actually a church. They thought it was the chapel in the cemetery where you could have a funeral if you were going to bury somebody in that cemetery. They didn't know there was an active living church meeting there every Sunday morning because they were never seeing anybody there when they came through. So we set out to change that. Hebron had been misrepresented to the community and we needed to set that straight. So we kept changing stuff, putting up signs, moving stuff out front just to make it like people had been there. We sponsored a community trunk or treat. We did all sorts of things, and people were like, oh, I didn't know there was a church here. We talked about how, what the struggle would be for them to grow with no bathroom. Because I'll be honest with you, if I come with my child, and I put my child back in the car seat and go home to go to the bathroom, I'm not coming back for the rest of the service. They invited me back last summer to preach their annual summer revival. They have built a fellowship hall with restrooms, They have more members than they had. And they were very kind to say, thank you for giving us hope that we could live, that there were options. 
because nobody knew we were still alive here. They'd been misrepresented. We're talking about Mary Magdalene this morning, who is a character in Scripture that has been misrepresented. If you have grown up in church, if you're familiar with Scripture, if you're not, that's okay, but you probably know some things about Mary Magdalene, some things you may not think are so great about Mary Magdalene. I have a picture that I hope is going to come up of an artist who drew, painted this picture of the Magdalene, and she's quite an angry, hard-looking woman here. Um, Maria Magdalene gets portrayed as a prostitute prior to encountering Jesus. And my friend, Scripture doesn't call her that. What does Scripture say about Mary Magdalene? Well, Luke 8 says she's one of the women who traveled with Jesus. There were women among the disciples of Jesus in Jesus' day. They traveled with the group. We hear it echoed in the letters that they write to one another that have become our New Testament. Tell this one and tell that one and greet them and greet them. We have Joanna. She's well connected. She's married to somebody in Herod's court. We have Susanna, who must have been so well-known, they don't have to give her any other explanation. Susanna, y'all know Susanna. Susanna, she traveled with Jesus and some of those others that I don't have room to list. But Mary Magdalene is listed among the women who traveled with Jesus and were part of his ministry. And she had to be a woman of some means because it says they took care of the disciples. They helped pay for stuff like meals. Out of their resources, they gave of what they had. All four Gospels connect Mary Magdalene to Jesus' death and resurrection. She was one of the women who stayed to the bitter end, all the way to the last moment of Jesus' death. Everyone else wants to look away, but not his mother, not Mary Magdalene. And the Gospel of John tells us that Mary Magdalene is the first one to discover the empty tomb on Easter. She arrives and finds it empty. And then she encounters Jesus. She doesn't recognize him. Because, you know, when we go to the cemetery to visit people, we don't expect to see them. And she gets the wonderful news. The first one to know. And off she runs to tell the disciples this good news. She's called the first evangelist. And a lot of people will say, that's proof that a woman can be a pastor. I'm not one of those women who uses that as proof. And because I realize we record this, I'm going to lose my female pastor card with a lot of my colleagues for saying that. But there's a difference between an evangelist and a pastor. An evangelist shares the good news of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Every single one of us is called to be an evangelist. By virtue of your baptism, you are invited to share the good news with the world. Everybody can be an evangelist. A pastor is a different role, one I also believe Scripture makes available. So we have a great testimony of Mary Magdalene, and we know from this Scripture she's had seven demons cast out of her. She was unwell, and she encountered Jesus, and he made life better. It's a tremendous transformation in her life. But there's nothing in Scripture that tells us she was a prostitute. So how did that happen? 
Well, in the early days of Christianity, particularly in the 3rd, 4th, and 5th centuries, we like to try to roll some of these stories together. Make them more simple, make them harmonize. We have two feeding of large groups of people, a feeding of 4,000 and a feeding of 5,000. In one, there are seven baskets left. In the other one, there are 12 baskets left. We've tried to make those one, and somebody just couldn't count good. I don't know why we have to do that. But we've also tried to make all the Mary some of the same people. So there were people who rolled together. There are two instances of somebody anointing Jesus' feet. One is Mary, and Scripture's pretty clear that it is Mary of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus anointing him for burial. In another story, a woman comes and anoints his feet, pours perfume on them, bathes his feet with her tears, dries them with her hair, and the Pharisees stand back and they're like, hmm, if Jesus was a prophet, he'd know who's touching his feet and he wouldn't be letting that happen. He didn't know what kind of woman she is. We've made that Mary Magdalene, even though we're not told. There is a story of a woman caught in adultery. It's always fascinated me that they drag the woman, where's the man? Drag her up to Jesus. Jesus? Moses' law said we're supposed to stone her. What do you want to do? And Jesus in his wisdom begins riding in the sand. Looks up at them and says, whoever doesn't have any sin in their life, you cast the first stone. He goes back to riding and Everyone has to drop their stones and walk away. And he says to her, woman, we're your accusers. She says, there are none, Lord. And he says those beautiful words. Then go and sin no more. And she gets up and leaves. Theologians in those 3rd, 4th, and 5th centuries also made that Mary Magdalene. The woman caught in adultery. And then because the city of Magdala a city on the coast was known for having prostitutes because she is identified as Mary of Magdala or Mary Magdalene. She must have been a prostitute from that city. That's the only reason they call her that. Well, Scripture also says nothing good comes out of Nazareth and we call Jesus Jesus of Nazareth all through Scripture. We just are stretching. We're stepping beyond Scripture to make her a prostitute. It's not the only thing she's been made down through the ages. If you're familiar with Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code and that group of things, um, they made her the wife of Jesus and the mother of his children. There are descendants of Jesus out here. They fail to understand we're all descendants of Jesus when we come into Christ. There are others who have said she was the first pope of the church, that it was men wanting to suppress women who made Peter the first pope. I don't think either of those are very likely at all. Because I think if Jesus had a wife, one of these writers would have mentioned that to us. But we have misrepresented Mary. Taking her from somebody who received a supernatural touch and healing from Jesus and made her a scandalous woman. But you know what? That happens when we follow Christ. We're likely to get misrepresented. I had a friend who worked in an office. It was a stressful job. And she liked to spend the first part of her lunch hour reading scripture and praying. So for the first 15 minutes, she would pull out her Bible. She would read some scripture. She would say a prayer. She would take a few deep breaths and wait. And then she would take her lunch and go to the lunchroom to eat. 
However, her co-workers went straight to the lunchroom right at lunchtime. They've already chosen tables and sat down. They've already got their meals out. They're well into them by the time she got there. And when she would arrive, she would sit at the table with the fewest people, or if they were all full, she'd sit at a table by herself. And what they decided was, she doesn't like us. She's not a very friendly person. She thinks she's better than us. She's holier than thou. Looking down her nose at us. She didn't want to be contaminated by our sin by sitting and eating with us. None of that was true. None of that was true. They had misrepresented what she was doing. In fact, what she said, the job was stressful. And if she was going to continue to be nice to people on the telephone for the afternoon, she needed a new dose of Jesus at lunch to make it through the second half of the day. But it can be easy to be misrepresented. When we choose to follow Christ and it doesn't match what those around us are doing, when it doesn't match what the world says about how we measure success or how we spend our money or where we place ourselves on Sunday mornings, the world can misrepresent us. Right now, there are a lot of things being said about followers of Christ, about us being hateful, bigoted, and cruel, and exclusive. There are a lot of things being said about United Methodists, we don't have solid beliefs. We're so focused on grace, we just, anything goes. Neither of those is true. As we stand and talk about justice and righteousness, holiness and mercy, as we seek to follow Christ in the very best way that we can, and in every situation ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? And try to do that. I don't know if you remember, we used to have the little bracelets that were WWJD that were supposed to remind us what would Jesus do and we were to look at it and do that. I kind of like those. Did you know that in the early days of Christianity, there was a rumor about followers of the way, that offshoot that broke off from Judaism, that we were cannibals. Cannibals. Because of our sacrament of Holy Communion. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and eat. Take and drink. The rumor for those who didn't understand was that we were cannibals. Trying to figure out how that happened. It was common for people to be misrepresented I wonder what it would be like if we could ask Mary Magdalene, how do you feel about what we've done to your story? Of how we painted it differently? And you know what I think she would say? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As long as people find Jesus, it doesn't matter what they think of me. To which my gut response is, yeah, it's easy for you to say from heaven. But the truth is, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how people misrepresent. Sometimes they're malicious. They're wanting to misrepresent. They're wanting to look for anything to criticize a follower of Christ or collectively the church, Jesus Christ. Other times, they just don't understand and they mischaracterize. But the reality is it really doesn't matter. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. 
And we want to reach even those who misunderstand. Even those who have heard a rumor. We want to introduce them to the God of love and grace and mercy. It's our particular mission here at Anniston First to share that life-changing grace with the world and to transform our community by doing it. Growing up, we used to have people come and share their testimony. It was a popular thing to do in my home church. About once a month on a Sunday night, we'd have a guest speaker who, give, who would give their testimony. And I'm sorry, but the testimonies were always spectacular. Started doing drugs at 13, moved on to hard stuff, um, committed 96 crimes, went to jail for 114 years, and here I am. I found Jesus with a chaplain, and all is better. And I would think, wow, I don't have a story like that. Born to Christian parents, raised in church, made a profession of faith, following Christ. I don't have a testimony. The reality is, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Those wonderful, magnificent, enormous-seeming testimonies give us room to believe that if God can forgive them of that, then absolutely God can forgive us of those sins that cover us just as we go through life. But the testimony and the power of the testimony is not how bad the sinner was, but how good the God is. It is just as miraculous, just as life-changing, just as wonderful anytime God redeems a soul, reaches somebody who says, I want to live like this. I want to live like Jesus taught. And I commit myself to that. We don't have to make Mary Magdalene the woman caught in adultery or the sinful woman anointing his feet or a prostitute for her story to be powerful. All of us have a powerful story. And all of us may be misrepresented. Are we willing to follow Christ even if they misrepresent us? Do we want to point to Christ more than we want to point to ourselves? That's what makes Mary Magdalene one of my heroes. Let's pray. Almighty, gracious, and loving God, we give you thanks for your presence, for your love and your grace and your Son, Jesus Christ, and for the example of people in Scripture. Help us to keep the main thing the main thing, to keep it all about you, about your love and your grace and connecting people with a living God who changes lives. In Christ's name. Amen. We want to give you the opportunity to receive.